You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call me. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. If you were listening to the show this past weekend, you know, I spent uh, last week at a uh, user conference for truckstop.com. That should be a room pretty well split between brokers and owner operators because it's a user conference and both brokers and owner operators use the software at truckstop.com. Unfortunately, it was 99.5% brokers, and I met two owner-operators, one of whom had been to the CMC, and you can tell his education is paying off, and not just the CMC, he comes to events like this. When he came to the CMC just a couple years ago, he had one truck. He now has six and multiple other owner-operators leased to him. While he was at this event, he made some contacts, picked up some excellent freight. I want to encourage owner-operators to get out to more of these kind of events. I want to encourage owner-operators to start using the tools that are available to them. See, the brokers, owner-operators always feel like they're getting screwed in the negotiation process with brokers, and they are, honestly but you can't blame the broker. They're just business people. They want to make as much money as they can on every load, and so do you. They're winning the game. They're winning the game because they do go to events like this. They do know how to use that software. I I could spend three hours, or three days, I mean, training people on all the tools that are available on the load boards like truckstop.com. They are loaded, and and some of the new technology coming out is absolutely amazing. That's why we've partnered with them, but owner-operators don't use it. They use it like a load board. They go in, they look for a load, they find a load, they call the broker, and they feel like they lose the negotiation. They're not using the negotiation tools. They're not using the rate tools. They're not using the tools to provide better customer service. They're not using the onboarding tools. They're not using the routing tools. They're not using the fuel mileage and and fuel tax tools. I could go on and on. So if we can't get owner operators to come to these kind of events, which are primarily being attended by brokers, bring the brokers to the events with owner operators. And guess what? There's only one. There's only one event for education with owner operators, and that's our CMC. I wish we had competition. I wish somebody else would go out and create a program like this. 
there was a large association once that created a program not long after I created mine. There's only lasted a couple years. I don't know why. I, I wish it would have continued. I would love to have some competition in this area. But it, because that just means more and more owner operators would have more opportunities to become educated and be better business owners. We, we, we're a small company. This is a huge event for us. It takes us half of our year getting ready for this event. That's a lot of labor, a lot of time. Um, I love doing it. I just wish there were more opportunities. And what we are planning, th this is not set in stone yet because I just had the lightning strike idea last week. But I'm glad we moved our CMC to September of next year instead of May. It gives us some more time to pull this off. So um, I, I'll talk a little bit more about the CMC in just a second, kind of let you know what it is and what we're going to be doing with it. But I, I, I really have put a lot of time into looking at the industry lately and trying to figure out where we're going. Things are changing so fast in two big areas. Regulation, which we're all sick of. And if you think we're overregulated now, just wait. It's getting worse. I saw stuff that's coming down the pipeline that I can't even believe. And this election certainly didn't help anything. Nothing's going to get better. But the other area that things are changing really fast is technology. Now, here's the good news. Regulation always favors the biggest players, the biggest carriers. They can absorb the regulation. Nobody likes it. But the big carriers can absorb it. Technology always favors the little guy if you understand it and use it. And that's our goal, to help you understand the new technology and use it to your advantage. Technology will always favor the little guy. I could put together a, a one-truck operation right now that would be more technologically advanced than the biggest carrier on the planet. And I could do it pretty darn cheap. That's what's cool about technology. We do it in our company. You know, we are a completely virtual company. Everybody in our company works from home. And I love that. That, that allows our employees to be with their families. It allows our employees to, to put in a lot of time, provide excellent customer service, and still have a life. It also means our employees aren't commuting. They're not on the road causing traffic. They're not burning fuel, polluting. I love that idea. And we were able to do that because we leverage technology. I'm able to be on the road six months out of the year if I want. This year we were on the road six months and continue to work and do my radio show from the road. And that's all because we leverage the technology. Being on the road for me keeps me more in touch with what you're doing. I'm traveling in a vehicle that is 74 feet long and 60,000 pounds. I have all the same challenges you have when you're on the road. And it also allows me to go out and learn. So the partnerships we've created, I have open invitations to all the companies we work with. I can go sit with their engineers. I can go watch what's going on in their companies and learn. I can go to Michelin's test track and, and go play around with tires and, you know, 
almost crash trucks. So being on the road for me is a huge advantage because it allows me to learn more. It allows me to understand what you go through every day so we can bring more value to you. We can only do those things because we leverage technology. There probably isn't a big company around that in the trucking industry that leverages that kind of technology the way we do. And I want to help you leverage the technology that's already here and some of the new stuff that is coming so that you can be more advanced than any big carrier. Now, let's talk about the typical career path for a truck driver in today's world. It's changed quite a bit since I got started. Um, it's going to change a lot more here real quick. Let, let's think about this. Typical career path for a truck driver. You go to truck driving school. You come out, you're probably going to go to work for a carrier and ride with a trainer. There's a good chance you could become a trainer before you even finish your first year, which is insane. Then you'll realize you really don't want to be a trainer. And then you'll probably just bounce around from company to company. And I know guys who have been doing this for 30 years and they're barely making more money than a first year driver. That is a horrible career path. Now we can add one more thing to it that really makes it lousy. That is, you have a pretty good chance in the somewhat near future, I believe, of being replaced by an autonomous truck. No wonder why we have so much turnover in this industry. That's insane. On top of that, all the sacrifices you have to make to be a truck driver away from home all the time, living on the road, crazy hours away from your family, not being able to have a normal social life at home. That's a lousy career path. So I have a new idea and we are going to transform our company to make sure you have access to an entirely different career path. The one I just outlined sucks. The one I'm going to tell you about now and we're going to create is really exciting. I'm excited about it. I am re-energized to get working on this. And the cool thing is we have so much of this already in place. It's just a matter of us putting it together, formalizing it and bringing it to you. And we are going to be I'm working on it already. So when I get back from the break, I'm going to tell you about the career path we think you should be on. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. So imagine if you were not in the trucking industry and you were looking at it as a career, and I told you that's what the most common career path is, I have a feeling I'd scare you away from the trucking industry. And that's a shame because I love this industry. I love everything about it. I've been in it my entire adult life. I'm third generation. I want to make sure we can continue doing what we do as drivers profitably for as long as possible. And even though I've been talking about the autonomous trucks and it is going to start happening a lot sooner than we think, that doesn't mean we're all out of a job. In fact, I am going to outline the career path that will keep you in this business the longest. I can't predict the long-term future, but I can surely predict the next decade and maybe even two. But no matter what the timing is of this transformation, it, and my whole weekend show was about this disruption. And that's the way most people are going to look at it as a disruption. I want to look at it as a transformation. We're going to transform our company to take advantage of this. And I want to help you do the same thing. I want to look at this and help you look at it as a transformation, a positive thing. And here's what I believe you should be doing if you want to last as long as you can in this industry and make a lot of money doing it. That's the exciting part. You look at the disruptions in the past, and I covered this. You can find my uh, post on Facebook where I talk more about this. What happened in the 20s, what happened in the 50s, what happened in the 80s totally disrupted the industry. People went bankrupt left and right. Carriers went out of business. But every one of those disruptions created huge opportunities, and very successful businesses grew out of that. I'm so excited that we're right at the beginning of this transformation. And if you get this, you can be one of those success stories. So here's our career path. You're still going to go to driving school. Somebody's got to teach you how to drive the truck. It's not a bad idea to go work for a carrier for six months to a year just to get some driving experience under your belt. I don't know how important that really is, but it's not a bad idea. You can't go wrong. Um, I didn't do that. I went right to being an owner operator, but driving six months to a year for a carrier, especially if you do what I'm about to outline, that one year will be a great foundation for you to build this success on. During that year, you should be listening to, reading, and studying business in general, and I can give you lots of recommendations on the books you, you should be listening to, but more importantly, and here's my chance for just a, a shameless plug for my program. You should be listening to, studying, and working through the program. Stop holding the steering wheel and start driving your business. That's the program I wrote. It's based on 30 years of experience in the industry. It's based on helping lots of owner-operators get started in this business and be successful at it. It is an audio program that you can listen to while you drive, so it won't take a minute out of your day. It has some videos, so when you stop at night, you can watch some video from seminars that I've done in the past helping people get started. It has checklists. 
It has a workbook. You can work right through this program step by step. It will show you exactly how to buy your first truck, avoid all of the mistakes most people make when they buy their first truck, and get through that first year as an owner-operator really successful. Now, it's also not a bad idea to spend that first year leased to a carrier the first year after you buy your truck. There are lots of great carriers out there. We work with a couple of them. Landstar and Mercer are two of my favorites. That, that's why we've partnered with them for years. Great place to spend your first year. Some of you may even decide to stay there. And there is still a future doing that. But the future there is a little shorter and not quite as bright as the rest of the future I want to outline for you right now. So you go to driving school, you get a year's experience, you study our program that entire year and work through the whole thing. You buy your first truck. You come to the CMC. This is where you will get to pick what your career path is going to be. And I'll give you some of those options. And no matter what that career path is, we will show you exactly how to be more profitable doing it and to grow and expand and take advantage of this transformation that is coming. So when you come to the CMC, if we pull this off next year and we are going to work hard at this. Now we already have three lanes at the CMC and I'll tell you what they are, but we are working to pull off the fourth lane, which I am really excited about. So here are your choices. If you're just getting started working through our program, when the CMC gets here, stop holding the steering wheel or you want even more in-depth information, at the CMC, you can go through lane one. And lane one is all about getting started. In fact, we follow the program that I just told you about, stop holding the steering wheel and start driving your business. We work through you with you every step of that program. You get to ask all the questions you want and we really drill down to the details. So that's a great place to start. If you've already worked the program, you're very happy with it, you get it, you've got your truck, you're leased to a carrier, lane two is for you. Lane two, we spend all week showing you how to squeeze every penny of profit and really be successful as an owner operator leased to a carrier. We cover all kinds of topics, everything you need to know to run that business really successfully. Lane three is the next step in the career path, one of the next possibilities. And that is leaving the carrier and becoming a carrier of your own. One truck or maybe even a small fleet. Get your authority and really start taking every penny of profit out of the loads that you pull. Depending on whether you wanna go directly to customers or you wanna work with brokers, we are going to show you how to get started and how to operate as a carrier very profitably. We're gonna cover everything you need to know in that lane as well. Lane four is a new addition, and I'm really excited about this. We're gonna do two things in lane four. There's another career path you can take that I think has a really long life to it. And it can also supplement the career path of being an owner operator with your own authority. It can add another layer of profitability. 
and that is becoming a freight broker. I know lots of guys. In fact, the one I talked about earlier who was at this event, he started with one truck, got his authority, added trucks, leased carriers, and then also got his broker's authority. So now not only does he make money on freight that he puts on his own trucks, he makes money on freight that he puts on other owner-operators' trucks, and he makes money on freight he puts on other carriers' trucks because he's a broker. That is an awesome business model. We're going to teach you how to do that in lane four. We're going to have startup broker training, teach you all about the industry. You know what? Even if you never wanted to be a broker, you should consider this training. I did it 20-some years ago. And I did broker for about a year, really got into other things. But that experience taught me so much, and it's, it's benefited me tremendously. Also in lane four, we will have more broker training for brokers who are already in business. So continuing education for brokers. The cool thing about having the, the broker training there as well as the owner-operator training is now we have an opportunity, a week with some of the best owner operators in the industry and some of the best brokers in the industry, because those are the kind of people that come to these events. You don't get the dirtbag brokers coming to these events. You get the top, just like we get the best owner operators there. We'll have the best brokers there. Now we're going to have a, an opportunity to interact brokers and owner operators and become real partners in this industry so that we can provide more value to the customer, to the shipper. That's how this business should work. Owner operators and brokers coming together, solving problems, getting innovative and efficient, and then providing that value to the shipper. That's how we raise rates in this industry. Screw the stupid statements like say no to cheap freight. That's what has gotten us to this place in the industry. People have been saying that for the entire 30 years I've been in the industry and look where it got us. We have a new path. We're excited about it. We have everything you need and we're going to be talking a lot more about all the things we have, books, podcasts, seminars, you name it, all for you to make sure you take advantage of this transformation and come out the other side one of those big winners. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I think you can tell I'm a little excited about this. I, I 2017 is going to be an awesome year. I'm so glad the election is behind us. The results really don't even matter. 
focus on your life and your business. And there are some really, really exciting things that are going to happen in the transportation industry if you are ready. We want to help you get ready. Now, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this. We have some amazing stuff coming out in the near future, but we have some amazing stuff right now. If you want to get started on this, sign up for the CMC, get the program, stop holding the steering wheel. All you have to do is go to the website, letstruck.com. You can sign up for the CMC. You can buy the program both. And if you have any questions, you can call us. We have a team that wants to help. 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. We're going to get to the phone calls. Let's get started. Let's go to Georgia. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. And I'll tell you, I was listening to the Saturday show, and I enjoyed uh, the Saturday show so much till I went back and uh, recorded it and put it in my archive so I can continue to listen to it and get the in-depth of it. And I tell you, I do appreciate the uh, things that you're introducing to the industry and giving us, the as, as drivers, the opportunity to capitalize in our um, income and the changing of the future that's coming forth. And I do appreciate uh, everything you're doing for us. I really do. You're welcome. And, and you know, I, I, I love being able to bring this kind of stuff to our listeners. But, I, but I'll tell you what, I love it myself because the last couple of years in the industry have been a little depressing. And, and I'm not a negative person. I, I'm pretty positive, but I've been struggling the last year or two with all the bad news in the industry. And it's like, you know, the lightning struck. And I am so excited about the industry and the potential now that I've got something new to get me up and moving every morning. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I appreciate uh, appreciate everything you're doing for us. Um, to kind of give you a background of um, leading up to my question, um, I went through a bad lease program. Uh, but I managed to get through the lease program, you know, making 13 cent a mile net profit. Um, but I managed to get through that and I've been uh, with a BCO, uh, for about a year and a half on a dedicated account, you know, managed to get my, um, my expenses to like 60 cent a mile. And I think I talked with you about a couple of, uh, a few weeks ago, you know, about my numbers and everything like that. Um, yeah, what I'm looking to do. Yeah, and and what I'm looking to do about the, uh, I don't know, about the end of January, 1st of February, by listening to Kenny Long, I'm um, I'm going to go in and file my authority. And, um, you okay. know, listening to Kenny Long, I think I'm going to go in and do it myself because I see how easy it is to do it online and everything like that. And I think I'm going to do it myself. But the question okay. that I'm having is, is that uh, this year I'm looking at uh, – about sixty-seven, about sixty-seven thousand dollars net profit um, this year. Okay. Um, uh, and and because of being in that bad lease program, of course, you know, and, and I thank God for your tax service that you that that you recommended because I tell you, those are a great group of guys and a great group of people, uh, and I'm thankful for that. And um, what I'm looking to do is, uh, um, you know, um, what I'm what I'm asking about my uh, about taxes and you know, estimates and everything like that, because I was in 
such a bad place in my lease program. I never uh, paid estimates, you know, right. paid estimates into the government. And I want a better understanding, you know, um, going forth, um, going forth. I want, I need a better understanding of how to pay tax tax estimates as far as what percentage should I take out every quarter and to send the government and, you know, things of that nature. Good. Now, I, I will tell you, I'm, uh, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And I'm going to spend enough time to help people understand this. And I'm going to recommend that people record this section. It's one of those things that you will want to go back and listen to a couple times, because it, if you don't understand taxes, and most people don't, the first time you hear this, it's going to be confusing. So record it, go back and listen to it a couple times because there are actually two very different ways that we can handle estimated taxes. The IRS gives us two methods. So I'm gonna explain both of them and kind of explain when and how you might decide which one to use. So the IRS says that we can either pay 100% of last year's tax as estimates this year, meaning we divide it by four, we send them four checks throughout the year, one each quarter. And if we do that, no matter what happens this year, we won't be penalized. So even though this year might have nothing to do with last year, as long as we pay 100% of last year's tax in four installments this year, we won't get penalized. Now, it's not, it, it may not cover your tax. It may be too much it, it, because the two years could be completely different. But what we're trying to do is make sure that we don't end up paying penalties and interest. And the IRS says, as long as you do this, you will never be charged penalties and interest. So the way you do it is, I'm not going to get too deep into this because if somebody's married and they have a spouse that works and contributes, then it can get a little confusing. So what you probably have to do is go back to your tax preparer. Our, our tax service will certainly help you with this. You look at last mm -hmm. year's tax return. You look at all the different ways that you pay in, whether it was estimates or uh, something was rolled over from the year before or your spouse contributes. That's where it gets confusing. But your tax preparer can look at this and say, okay, in order to stay out of trouble, not to get any penalties or interest, you need to pay X number of dollars four times this year, and then you'll be covered. No interest, no penalties. Does that make sense so far? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir, it does. Okay. Or the IRS says you can pay 90% of all the tax you're going to owe this year in four different payments. And as long as you do that, we won't penalize you. Well, last year is easy. It's easy to figure out 100%. All, it's already done and over with, and we just have to go back and do the math. We just have to know how to do the math. But nobody knows what your tax is going to be this year. We have no idea how much revenue you're going to make, what your expenses are going to be. We, we, we can't predict the future. So what we, it, it's a right. little more work this way, but if you use this method, not only will you make sure that you don't pay any interest and penalties, but also by the end of the year, you should have at least 90% of your tax paid. So it's more work, but there won't be any big surprise when tax time comes. 
because I've seen people who paid, you're a great example. In one year, you paid zero tax or very, very low tax because you weren't profitable. So you could have used that method and said, hey, look, I didn't pay any tax last year. I don't have to make any estimates this year. But that year, you go out and generate $67,000 worth of profit, meaning you're going to pay roughly twelve dollars to $15,000 in tax on that money. And, and if you're going all year going, I don't have to make any estimates. And then April comes and the IRS says you owe us a check for $15,000. You won't owe many interest or penalties, but that's still unpleasant um, to try to come up with the right. money all at once. So right. the way we keep up with things throughout the year is by having a good accounting system. So when the quarter is over with, so we, we go out, we run our truck January, February, March. We sit down with our profit and loss statement and our tax uh, report from profit gauges. And we call up our tax preparer and we say, my first quarter is over with. I have all my numbers in there. Can you tell me how much I'm going to pay an estimated tax? And they'll be able to give you a number. And then you send in the check. Go through the second quarter. Put in all your numbers every month. When the quarter's over, call up your tax preparer. Say, my numbers are all in there. The cool thing is we have access to all those numbers in the system for you. And we look at it and say, yep, here's your estimated tax. You write a check, you send it off. Your last estimated payment is due January 15th of the next year. So when you make that payment, you should be at least 90% or so caught up, maybe even 100%, depending on how good our predictions have been. And then you have lots of time, get your tax return done early, no big surprises. So that way we, we pay things as they happen and we don't fall into that trap of getting behind. So let me get to a break. I'm gonna come back and if, if I, I hope that helped clear some things up. If you still have some questions about it, I'll come back to you right after this. Stick around, I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, so we're heading into the final segment here. Let me give you a rundown. Looks like we've got, uh, let me count the questions here. Looks like we might have some room. We're gonna do a second hour and uh, looks like we might have some room. If you jump in quick right now, you might be able to get through in the second hour with a question. Just go ahead and press one on your phone and we'll get to you. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Steve in Georgia. Steve, does that help clarify things? 
Very much so. Uh, very much so. So, and I, I definitely understand better on how to do it. And um, I, I know I called you uh, about a year ago, and you was telling me um, to kind of get an estimate, or you know, to be become real close. You were saying take nine percent of my gross out and set it aside for taxes, and I have been doing that all year Good. long. And um, the uh, text, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say for the other people listening. So I I just went through those two methods of how we calculate it, but then we can make it really simple for somebody. And I'm talking to people primarily leased to a carrier right now. Things change when you get your own authority, but leased to a carrier. If you just want to say, look, I, I got, I know I need to do this, but I don't have time right now, but you want to make sure you have the money set aside then look at your gross settlement every week. I'm going to adjust this just a little bit because I've been using that 9% number for a long time. I'm going to make it even easier to do the math. Look at your gross settlement every week before any deductions are taken out and take 10% of it and set it aside in a savings account. And that's going to be the money that will be there to pay the estimated tax when it's time to write the check. Okay. Now, um, next year, whenever I file for my authority and begin to start running on my own, does uh, does I apply those principles with uh, with running on my own instead of being leased to a company, or is that about the same? Ten uh, percent uh, should be uh, okay with that. Ten percent is going to keep you in pretty good shape, and you're going to you're going to be ahead of the curve because you will be doing your estimates each quarter and you'll be working with our software and your tax preparer. So setting aside 10% will keep us close. If you get to that, let's say that first quarter you're operating on your own and we look at the 10% and it's way off, then we can adjust. And the good news is we only went through one quarter. So, but, but it's a, it's a good place to just stick with that 10% as far as putting money aside and continue doing what you're doing, filling out profit gauges, talking to the tax preparer at the end of each quarter, and you will never have a problem with estimated taxes. Okay. Well, I do appreciate it. And that helps me out a whole lot. Uh, you know, and that 9% of growth that I've been putting you know, I, I still got that sort of, you know, sort of in the escrow just for taxes. So I think what I'm going to do is that that 9 percent all year long, I'm going to just leave it in there and just and just uh, have that purposely just for taxes. So I wouldn't have any uh, surprises or anything down the road. And I appreciate the uh, information that you gave, gave me, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Great topic, by the way, and really good timing. Let's go to Tennessee. Michael, welcome to the program. How you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? Okay, I got a little bit of a problem. I got a Fitzgerald's Glider, okay? Uh, I bought it in fact 2014 or 2013. It's a 2014 389 Peterbilt. And every time I let off the pedal, not every time, but I mean, Sometimes when I let off the pedal, the check engine light comes on, and I tap the gas, and it won't, you know, it won't give it any fuel. And I tap it a couple more times, and then it'll, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll get fuel. So I took it to the shop. They told me it was the TPS sensor, 
and they changed it out, but it's, it's sometimes it still does it. Is there anything else that it could be besides the TPS sensor? There is. The TPS throttle position sensor is a common problem, so I understand why they went there first. What I don't like, and so many shops do this, it kind of makes me a little crazy. They do what's easy for them, and if it doesn't work, well, you still had to pay for it, and then they'll do something else. I, I, I agree. There was a good chance it could have been the throttle position sensor, but we can also test this stuff. You know, we, we don't just have to throw parts at something. That's a pain in the ass for you. You spent the money. Now you're driving around. You still have the same problem, so you're going to have to go back or go to a different shop, which is what I would recommend. Um, there are several things in the system that could cause this to happen. And I'm not even going to tell you what they are because I don't want to just throw parts at it. I don't want to start down the list. Oh, well, it could have been this. Oh, nope, could have been this. We can test this stuff. Um, shops are either just too ignorant or too lazy, or they like the fact that you have to come back to them two and three times. I, probably a combination of all of the above. Um, you know, I, I wish we had more shops because I sound like a broken record. But the one shop that I know that actually tests this kind of stuff and troubleshoots before they change the part is Pittsburgh Power. Yeah. All righty. Well, I don't get up around Pittsburgh Power. That'd be a, <laughs> that'd be a death march to get up there. Then, then the other thing you've got to do, and, and this, I know this isn't easy, but uh, you know, I struggled to do this for years. You've got to build a relationship with the shop so that you go in and say, look, guys, I know you think it's that part. Have you done any troubleshooting? Because I don't want you replacing that part and I drive out of here and have the same problem an hour later. And if I do, you are losing a customer. So let's talk about this. Show me what you've done to troubleshoot. Explain to me why you think or, or you're very sure that this is the problem. And if you can't get a shop to do that, then you find another shop. Because th this well, is ridiculous they, how much it, it, we're in a different world. You know, when trucks were mechanical, a good mechanic could look at a truck and say, yep, I know exactly what it is and fix it. In the world of electronics, that doesn't happen. There are way too many points in that system that could cause the symptom. Well, in, their, in the shop's defense, uh, they did change it out, and it did stop for over a year, and then it came back and started doing it again a year later, and I had a spare TPS sensor just in case it happened again. I changed it out myself, and it's still doing it. Oh, well, then that's a shop I would go back to. I think they got it right the first time. I, I misunderstood. Oh, okay. I, I thought they changed it, and it still did it. If they fixed it and it, it made it a year, I'm pretty sure what they did was right the first time. So I'd go back to them and give them another shot at it. Yeah, but see, I just changed it out. It was started doing it real bad after a year. Uh, it started doing it after a year. And then I, you know, I'd tap the pedal and it'd go away for about two or three days. And it'd come back, tap the pedal and it'd stop doing it. And then uh, about it got so bad where it was doing it just about every time I got off the interstate. I changed it out myself. It didn't, and it, you know, and then it started doing it again, not even a day later. Well, so it didn't even, and that, didn't even make that, it a year that's, that what I, 
Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I think there is another problem in the system, but I think they got it right the first time. I mean, I, they, I don't think they just got lucky and it stopped doing it for a year. I think they got it right. Now we have another problem causing the same symptom. It, it, that's what I mean about these. When you look at that system, you've got the throttle position sensor, the clutch sensor, the cruise switch, the jake switch, the ECM, all the connections in between, and I'm probably missing some of the parts that are part of uh, the brake sensor. This is a, a pretty intricate system, so I'd give them another shot. Let them uh, see what they can do. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. We are just about out of time, so uh, I'm not going to have time to get to another call. Um, I want to remind you about um, the career path I talked about at the beginning of this program. We're excited about it. We are going to bring you tools and resources to help you every step of the way. We have our podcasts, and we have a podcast for getting started, Trucking 101. We have a podcast for Becoming successful as an owner-operator, that's mine. Questions from the road will help you with any aspect of that. We have a podcast for getting your own authority. That's Trucking with Authority with Kenny Long. We have a podcast to help you understand rates and lanes. Really important topic. That's Rico Muhammad. I am starting up a new podcast to help you build relationships with brokers and understand the broker side. That's going to be coming real soon. We have podcasts to help you with maintenance, which is um, the power hour and rolling toe, so engines and tires and alignment. We're going to continue bringing you the information you need to succeed. That's just one area, the podcast. But if you want to make sure you don't miss any of those, it's real simple to get on our text message list so that every time we're going to do one of those shows, we send you a text message about 15 minutes early. It's got the phone number right there, so you can just dial in and listen. All you have to do is text the word LISTEN to 99000. So instead of a phone number, you put in 99000. Then in the body of the text, put the word LISTEN. Don't worry about capitals. doesn't matter. Send off that text. About 30 seconds later or less, you'll get a confirmation back. And then every time we're doing a show, we'll send you a message 15 minutes early. The phone number will be right there. Touch the phone number and you'll be joining us. We'll be talking a lot more about the resources we're going to be bringing you. So don't miss it. And share all this with your friends as well. Let's make the industry a better place. Be safe. Be profitable fit and helping always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, we're going to do a second hour, so let's get started. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, 
fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is join us. And we're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. I do want to remind you about how you can join us on our recordings and our podcast show. It's real simple. We do a lot of new podcasts. Um, We record several days during the week and we're adding more. You don't want to miss this. And it's real simple. In fact, if you're not driving, you could do this right now and I'll walk you right through it. Pull out your phone. Just like you are going to send a text message to anybody, where you would put the phone number, you're going to put what's called a short code. 99000 is the code. 99000. That goes where the phone number goes. In the body of the text, one word. Don't worry about caps. Just put in the word listen. Listen. Hit send. Within 30 seconds or so, you'll get a confirmation back. You'll be on the list. And that way, every time we're recording or doing a podcast, we'll send you a text message about 15 minutes early. The phone number will be right there. Touch the phone number and you'll be able to join us. Now, you can sit and listen through the whole show if you want. Or at any time during the show, you press one on your phone. That puts you in the queue to ask a question. And I can promise you, if you've uh, tried to get through on the weekend shows, it can be very difficult. During the week when we record, if you get in early, if you dial when you get that text message 15 minutes early and you press one, I guarantee you'll get through every time. So join us on that. We're, uh, We're going to get to some phone calls right now. We're going to head off to... Uh, Oh, you know what? A couple other things. You're going to be hearing a lot about 2017 and what's going on with Let's Truck. We are transforming the company. The industry's transforming. We're changing with it. And we want to help you transform as well and take advantage of what I think is going to be a really exciting time in trucking. Unless you're not ready, then it's just going to plain suck. So join us and and we'll help you through this and help you be profitable as we transform. Now, you're going to hear about a lot of stuff on the air. I know it can be confusing, but anytime you have a question, you can call us and you can go to the website. So grab something to write with. I'll give you that information. You can go to the website at letstruck.com. Look around. The website's growing constantly. So poke around, click on things. You're going to find all kinds of great resources there. You can also call us. We have an awesome team that loves to help drivers and owner operators. You can call them at 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. Now let's get to the phone calls. We're going to head off to Virginia. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Hey there, what can I help you with today? I have an answer to the question about the Super 10. Okay, good. The the guy, any dealer can turn that off. I'm sure Pittsburgh Power can do it, but any dealer can just go in and turn that off. Or you can temporarily turn it off when it goes to do its shifting itself. Knock it in neutral, let it rev until it's done revving. 
which is two, three, four reps, put it back in gear, and it stays off until the engine gets restarted. Oh, that's a really good tip. I didn't know that. Yeah, but any dealer can turn it off. And I have another question I thought of while I was on hold. Sure. Super sing- super singles. I have a lift axle on a flatbed. Would it mileage? Would it pay to get the the spread axle single tires? Or I mean, the super singles. There's there's some better for spread axles, or just the regular ones because most of the time the axles up the year anyway. You know that's a good question. The there, there's, is, yeah, there's two the factors. Is, is big difference. Go ahead. There is. The so there, there is like twenty. 20 points. That is big. On a trailer, that could affect the fuel mileage by about two-tenths of a mile per gallon, which is significant. Um, so the two factors are, there's, I, and you know this, you mentioned it, there's a more regional tire, which stands up to the scrubbing a lot better on that forward axle, but it has more rolling resistance. Or there's the better rolling resistance, but it's not going to last long. It doesn't hold up to the scrubbing as well. But if you keep it right. in the air a lot, I would probably go with the lower rolling resistance. Now, the only reason I say probably, fuel is still so darn cheap that the rolling resistance savings isn't what it used to be, but it's still there. Um, it, it, clearly, when we go over $3 a gallon, then it's a slam dunk. I would always go with the lower rolling resistance. Right now, it's kind of a toss-up. I, I only have one set of super singles on right now, and it is the one for the scrub. So I have it on the front, and I have tools on the rear, and I'm just thinking maybe I should get the fuel efficient one, the regular straight super single for the rear, and leave the scrub yeah. one on the front, which that is, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. That does. That That's not a bad way to go. Okay. All right. I'm working out a program uh, along with Mercer. To put trucks on and drivers in trucks that want to purchase them. Um, oh, good. So sometime I'm going to need some help with that from you as far as just how to do the figures. But uh, it'll basically be you drive the truck for a certain percentage like their drivers. Then some owner-uppers have drivers. And uh, and then eventually the, the person driving the truck will own the truck. I, I like that uh, program. Mercy. And... Let me explain why I like it. Some people would say, well, Kevin, that sounds like a lot like like a lease purchase. Well, in some ways it does. But when when it's handled at the level that you're doing it, I think it's an awesome program for somebody to get started as long as you do what I know you're going to do. You're there kind of their mentor as well. You're not just throwing them in a, in the truck and throwing them to the wolves. And when they fail, taking the truck and giving it to somebody else. If you set this right. up where you are mentoring them, then I think this is an awesome program. I'm already at Mercer, and a, a gentleman I met at the CMC this past year is interested in doing this already. Um, so that's Good. that's what I'm thinking of doing it. That's about Good. all I, I had, though. But, uh... Okay, excellent. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think that's a great program. When you're ready, uh, let us know and we'll help you crunch some numbers on that. Let's go to New York. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Hi, Kevin. How you doing? 
What can I help you with? Um, yeah, I remember listening. I haven't listened to you for a while, um, and then I listened to Rolling Toe last night and spoke to Mike and everything. And at the end of the show, they were kind of talking about tire pressure, and they were talking about keeping your tires in the 100 to 110 psi range. But I remember from a couple years ago, you talking about um, over-inflating tires and actually going above what's recommended. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, did your opinion change or where where are you at on that now as far as? My opinion hasn't changed. And Mike and I actually agree on this. Um, it, 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 when I talked to Mike, Mike came at it from a totally different point of view. I came at it from fuel mileage only. The harder you make that tire, the easier it rolls and the better the fuel economy. My only concern is at some point you might get to a pressure that's so high it starts to cause irregular wear. Well, if it does that, then we back down. Um, Mike will tell you the same thing. Mike will tell you every problem he sees with a tire is because of underinflation. It's almost never overinflation. So he tends to lean towards the high side. I might even push just a little bit higher as long as we don't create irregular wear. So I, I tell people, look, you, you can't crank that tire up to 120 pounds and then forget about it. You put it up to 120 or whatever number we determine and you watch it closely every day. Like, and you don't just watch it, you feel it because I can feel wear happening before I can see it happening. So it's one of those things that if we want to maximize fuel economy, I do like to run at the very high end, as, as, right up to the point where I'm not causing any irregular wear and I keep an eye on it when I do that. So the music just started. Let me get to a break. I'll come back and we'll see if that answered your questions and if you have any more. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Don't forget that website, letstruck.com. If you have any questions, you can always call us. We have a great, great team that loves working with owner-operators. 855-800-FUEL. 855-800-3835. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm going to go back to New York and uh, see, did that help, Chris? Yeah, it did. Um, so where you're, you're thinking about the 120 range is, is where to start well, and, and then kind of keep an eye on them from there? Or? Don't get stuck on the number because it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the position, the tire, whether it's a wide single, a dual, what your operation and your weight is. You know, we, we've We've just right. had this mentality in the industry. There's this number on the sidewall, and we go by that. Well, first off, 
everybody gets that number wrong. That number is not the maximum pressure. But that's always what we've believed that is. That's not what that is. So depending, I, I've run wide singles all the way up to 140 pounds before and actually got very good performance out of them. I backed off to about 130 because Michelin tells me you could actually have a rim come apart at 140. I kind of doubt that it would happen, but um, so, you know, sometimes it's 100 on a steer axle. Sometimes it's 115 on a steer axle. I've found over the years that it depends on the truck, the weight, the tire, all kinds of things. That's why I say in any position, I start with a pretty high pressure, much higher than normal. Watch for wear. If I don't get anywhere, I might even bump it up a little more. If I do get somewhere, I'll, I'll drop it down. So it, it's on every truck I've owned, it's something I kind of dial in over time. Okay. Now, how, how long does it typically take before you, and I guess this could also depend on the operation and everything, but is there, you know, a certain amount of mileage where you should start to, if something's going to happen, you should start to see it happen? No, there really isn't. There's too many variables. Tires respond differently based on the, the, the brand and the which tire you're looking at. So it's one of those things that there's never going to be a chart. You know, I, I it, it's just one of those things that if you want to maximize fuel economy, and I really find that if you find that sweet spot, you just have to work at it. If you find that sweet spot up at the top end, you the tires tend to last longer as well. All right, well, I will uh, warn. Thanks for the. Input. I will warn you though. There, there is a downside. If you if you get to that upper limit and you find that sweet spot, and if you work at it, you will. You will notice the ride is rougher. It does make a difference in ride. In my trucks, it didn't matter because I had Road King shocks and Bose ride systems, so the ride was awesome anyway. But you can tell a difference when you get that tire up to the high side. Let's go to Washington. Paul, welcome to the program. <laughs> What's going on here? Hey there. What can I help you with today? It's your turn. Oh, sorry, Kevin. Um, hey, I have an oil sample I wanted you to look at. All right. Let's take a look. What year is this truck? It's an 09. 09. Uh, so far, I'm not seeing anything to even talk about um what about many, I have a question, what about the boron uh you can completely ignore that in fact if you okay. look at your well if you look at your sample and we look at those headings across the top it starts with wear metals then it goes to contaminant metals then it goes to multi-source and additive so i okay. honestly wish they would take the multi-source and the additive off. I've been reading oil samples for 20 years. Not once in that 20 years did either one of those categories matter, but they always generate questions. All the, the, the okay. multi-source and the additive metals are just that. They're, they're things that are part of the additive package in the oil. So there should be this standard range for each different brand of oil but i've bought a gallon of oil a gallon of rotella in one state 
bought a gallon of Rotella in a different state, send two samples into the lab before they ever even go in the truck, just pour them out of the bottle and send them in. And I get different numbers, different batches right. end up. different. So, and, and it's never mattered. There, there's not been one single time where I've looked at that and said, oh my God, you got to change the oil because this number's off. If we mix oils, you'll okay. get all kinds of great readings in those boxes. So I, I really, I, I just right. wish they would take it off there. But as far as when you do these, just ignore those two boxes. Everything else on this looks good. I'll tell you what I would, I would pay attention to next time. Not a concern right now. But I did see lead go from three to seven and copper go from zero to one. Not a big deal at all, but but that is those are the two metals we watch when we're watching bearings and knowing that this is an ISX. Um, just keep an eye on those numbers. Okay, does that have anything with those two metals have anything to do with um the truck consuming more oil than it typically does. No, um, it really I just, does. I just started having, uh, I just did my oil change uh, 7,000 miles ago, obviously when, uh, when I had the oil sample done and I, at 70, at 7,000 miles, I already had to put a gallon in, which typically I don't have to usually put a gallon until 10 to 11,000. Yeah, well, you're at a million plus, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's just going to start happening. But but if you see an acceleration in iron, chromium, nickel, we did see a little bit of acceleration in aluminum, but that's not a big deal. Um, typically, on the upper end, we're looking at iron and chromium. Those are the two metals you're going to see in the top end, the cylinder gets. But, I, you know... To have this thing burn a gallon at 7,000 over a million is not a big deal at all. It's normal. That's actually going to continue to progress right now. But everything else looks good at it. Okay. Right here. Okay. All right, Kevin. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We're going to get to another call. Let's head off to Texas. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing great. What can I help you with? Well, um, I wanted to – I've got a couple questions for you. Uh, I'll start off with the first one uh, being the emissions. Um, I have a friend that uh, basically uh, poo-poos on your program, and um, <laughs> he's one of the drivers that have been driving for 30 years, and you don't know what you're talking about, and he knows it all. And um one of the things that uh, he said is that um, the older trucks, uh, they're eventually going to make everything um, to emission standards, and uh, you're going to have to get rid of your older truck and go to a newer emission truck. Uh, so can you just confirm for me that that is wrong? Yeah, and let me, let me I'll explain it to you, and then you can go back to him with this. Um, I have to believe that if he made that statement, he has no idea how government works. None whatsoever. Look at the okay. history of government. I mean, this is why when people say, if we fail to understand the history, we're just going to repeat it. But if we do understand the history, we wouldn't fall into these ignorant statements. 
Look at the history of car. There's only one place in the country, other than a couple tiny little ports here and there. There's only one place in the country that has ever, ever made any kind of emission standard retroactive. That was California. They're the only place that did it. It's been a disaster. They're being sued by everybody. Companies have pulled out and just said, we're not going to go to California. Companies have imposed surcharges to go to California. Been a disaster. They're the only people that did it. But even when they did it, look at how much time we had. We knew a decade before the laws were actually implemented what the laws were going to be. They started talking about it and writing the laws over a decade before they actually enacted the laws. Now, on a federal level, if the federal government tried to retroactively force emission standards, it would decimate the industry. There are a lot of pre-emission trucks still on the road. So not only would it just be a really really bad idea but but let's say by the time people actually hear this we're going to know whether hillary clinton is the president or not let's say somebody as progressive as hillary clinton becomes president and she starts pushing for this and she might i don't know it would be a really really bad idea but i guarantee you it would take at least a decade before it were ever in place and we would know about it long before it ever happened. And let's say worst case scenario, let's say they adopted carbs rules tomorrow. It would suck, but I could go buy a $15,000 DEF and, and, uh, or DPF and throw it on my truck and I'd be compliant. So okay. those kind of scare tactics are either, I don't know, I have to believe somebody's just ignorant of how things work. All you have to do is look at the history of California, look at the history of the EPA. No matter how draconian their laws have become, we've always had lots of warning. I'm going to come back to you right after the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. All right, let me give you a quick heads up. Um, I'm going to come back to Steve's question. We're heading into our third segment. So I have two more segments, which usually means I can get to four to five more calls. And after Steve, I have no questions. So this is your chance. I'll either finish up Steve, close out the segment, we'll be done. Or if you press one on your phone right now, I'll be able to get to you. Any question, comment, topic, anything at all you want to talk about, go ahead and press one and we'll get to you. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Steve in Texas. Steve, let me give you another personal example of how this works. I remember exactly where I was. Okay. I was at a TCA event. I was speaking at a TCA event. It was 2004, 12 years ago. 
Um, one of the guys who was there speaking on, on we were speaking on different uh, topics, he was the president of the Texas Motor Truck Association, and he was one of the three guys, one of the last three that they were looking at to become president of the ATA. So this guy knows what was going on. He, he's been a part of trucking associations his whole life. Um, he was well plugged into what was going on in Washington at the time. And I was talking to him 12 years ago. You know what the big topic was? Electronic logging uh, device. <laughs> All right. Electronic logging devices. And I remember exactly what, we, what he told me. We were talking about, and drivers were saying then, if this happens, I'm quitting. They, they had the truck driver of the year that year, and the owner-operator of the year. And he was on a panel, and they asked him, what would you do if we get electronic logging devices? He says, I'll sell my truck the day they announce it. That, it so it was a big topic back then. And, and he told me, he said, Kevin, it's not a matter of if this is going to happen. It's just when. Well, where are we 12 years later? It's going to happen. But we've had so right. much warning. That's how the federal government works. That nothing happens in a hurry, which is good in some ways. I'm glad we didn't get them 12 years ago. I'm glad it took California all those years to implement their emissions. But, but those people who run around making these kind of – and I've had to fight that argument several times. People swear, oh, no, you're not going to be able to keep that emission truck. Or non-emission truck. Well, yeah, yeah. Come on. Nobody's even submitted a proposal for this yet. So from the time they do submit it, which I don't think they'll ever do, because the way they're doing it actually makes much more sense. They just keep putting tougher and tougher standards on the trucks being built. They've never right. really put standards retroactively. Put tougher standards on the ones being built. Eventually, the other ones will go away. Okay. All I right. I mean, think um, about it. Like, here's another way to think about it. We have crazy tough emission standards right now, right? Yep. But does anything stop me from driving a 1959 Brockway if I want to? Not at all. I can still run... It's black smoke belching uh, mechanical engines if I want to. Okay. All right. Um, that leads me into my uh, second question. Um, the ketosis diet. Um, I've, I've been listening to you for uh, probably a year or so. And, um, I'm not really – my big question about the ketosis diet, it's very interesting to me. Um, I'd like to do it, but being a truck driver, and I hear you say that you're on the road too, where where do you get the uh, uh, grass-fed and where do you get all this stuff? I can't just stop into Walmart and get, you know, the real food. So let's talk about this because the grass-fed has nothing to do with ketosis. Ketosis is only okay. your macronutrient balance. I can eat the, the standard meat that I can buy anywhere. I, I, can, I can go into McDonald's and I can eat ketogenic. I can order a salad from them and a burger with no bun 
throw the burger on the salad. It's an awesome meal. Not right. a fan of the quality of it, but it that's ketogenic. So all you really oh, okay. have to do to eat ketogenic is eat mostly fat, a little bit of protein, and you know very low carb. But that still allows all the vegetables, greens, all that stuff. We're not ketogenic has nothing to do with the quality. So the ketogenic is where we start people because that's where you get. 80% of the benefits. That's how people are losing weight. That's how they're getting rid of their type 2 diabetes. That's how they're getting rid of their arthritis and all kinds of other problems. Ultimately, I would love people after they hit all their goals with the ketogenic diet, I'd love to see them move to a more paleo style diet, which allows some more carbs, some more vegetables, even a little bit of fruit, but focused is a lot on the quality the grass-fed, the pastured, the local, the organic. And I'm not saying it's easy to do on the road, but it can be done. But but the ketogenic diet, I swear, is a breeze on the road. I, I think it's way easier oh, okay. to eat that because for one thing, once you go ketogenic, um, you don't have to eat nearly as often. So I, I actually find that eating ketogenic on the road is easy. Eating paleo on the road is a big challenge. But we're working on things that that industry is advancing, and there are some ways to do that. Let's go to Ontario. Sean, welcome to the program. Uh, good afternoon, Kevin. Well, I was running a regular lane for a few years now, and the freight has dried up on that to the point where I'm running a completely different lane. I never ran Ontario-Quebec. Uh, we just didn't do that. Well, we had a dispatcher uh, who's now on uh, rate per mile masters and uh, we were talking on the Facebook and uh, he was telling me, oh, he's got all kinds of freight from Montreal back to Winnipeg. And uh, I said, well, I'm in New York. I said, and I got an LTL back and well, that LTL all dried up. So I said, well, why don't I just grab a load going up to Mon uh, Montreal from New York? That's worked really well. And then when I get to Montreal, I got all kinds of freight going back west. So uh, we've had to change and adapt to uh, situations. Uh, the, the rates going west are good. The rates going east are poor, but if you triangle south and then make it north, uh, the rates are very good. So you have to adapt to the situation that happens. You know, that's a really good point, and it's a great example of, of doing that. And, you know, Forget about what's happening right now in the industry. Look at any business, any time in history. It's always businesses that can adapt, that survive and thrive and provide more value to their customers. Being, being able to adapt is a really, really important thing. What's going to happen in the next decade, and maybe even quicker, is not – and there was a really good presentation on this at, at the event I was just at. The guy talked about um, what you just talked about, that constant improvement, which is what we always want to do in business. We want to get a little better at what we do all the time. And if we do that, we'll stay in business. We'll keep making money until we have a product or service that disrupts the whole apple cart. And we can't just keep making little improvements. We have to make some pretty big changes. We have to adapt, which is kind of what you're talking about here. Something changed in the whole service of, of trucking in your market. 
and you adapted to it. And that's perfect. That'll get you through that change. Then what he says is when we face a change in the business model, so we, we're, we're seeing some changes in the service and the product, and we have to adapt to those. But when we see a change in the business model, we have to transform our entire company. And that's what we're heading into. We're seeing, we, we are about to ch- see a change in the entire business model, and this is the most disruptive. This is where you can't just make little changes. You can't just adapt to the changes. You have to transform the company. Now, when I say this, people are getting all freaked out because they don't know how to transform. Um, but that's what we're going to help people with. It, and the other thing is, talk- it's not you have to transform in a week. Um, there's time. But so many people fight that transformation and they just try to either adapt or make little changes and they wait too long and they go out of business. So we want to make sure. Go ahead. Are we talking about transforming as far as technology goes? Yeah. It. So, so over the weekend, I talked about the big transformations that happen every 30 years in the trucking industry, the diesel engine in the twenties, the highway system in the fifties, deregulation in the eighties. We're 30 years later. And I said, the transformation is technology. We have some ideas about what that might be, but we don't know yet. There's a hundred technologies that are going to change what we do. And they're not even all our technologies. Some of these technologies are in other industries. 3D printing, that that will change our industry. The the Amazon model of free one day shipping, that's going to change our industry manufacturing coming back to the United States, but being smaller and local is going to change our industry. Autonomous trucks going to change our industry. So the thing about a transformation is we we can't know what it is. When we go through this disruption, if we knew what the disruption was, it wouldn't be a disruption. That's, That's why so many people fail because nobody knows what this is. You just have to be very, very flexible and very, very adaptable to make it through this. And that's what we're going to help people with. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're heading into the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the calls, get to as many as I can. Let's go to New York. Keith, welcome to the program. Yes, Kevin. I'd like to uh, comment and uh, kind of uh, expound on what I think this autonomous truck is going to become in the future and how we might have to adapt on this. Uh, What I'm thinking this is going to be is more of an autopilot type feature. Uh, We're still a customer service business. We need people to service those customers. We need somebody to do a case count when it's loaded. We need somebody to uh, whatever it might be, whether it's compliance route issues, uh, quality of uh, product we deliver, whatever it might be. 
we will still need a driver in the truck for the most part. But these autonomous trucks, I, I view them as being more of a autopilot feature where the driver takes care of his duties, then hits a button on it. The, the truck continues down the road with the driver and the sleeper. One truck, one driver is pulling a thousand miles a day, and uh, just being more efficient economically than uh, a what the current model allows for labor. So let me address what are, that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, here. Let me start by saying this. Like I just said, when when these kind of disruptions happen, nobody knows. I mean, I, I just sat and listened to some of the top experts in England from New York and D.C. That, that this is what they do. They study these issues from all kinds of angles. And they had a different opinion. And I've been kind of in the middle. I, I wasn't exactly sure. We're still not sure. But it's fun to have the conversation. It's fun to guess. It's yeah. fun to try to predict. Let me give you a couple reasons why I think that might not be what's going to happen. Um, honestly, as far as a customer service business, in the most, for the most part, the driver isn't the one providing the customer service. You look at the interaction on the dock, and it's almost all bad. Um, as far as case count, that that's all technology. That that could easily be automated. The whole loading, unloading, case count, all that stuff could be automated. Um, as far as quality of the product, if you look at a lot of the damage that happens to product, it's either because of how it was loaded, that could be automated, or a driver with hard braking, that will never happen in an autonomous vehicle, or it won't happen nearly as much because, honestly, computers can react better than we can. They can sense things better than we can. They will have far fewer hard braking events than a driver ever does. So that's not really an issue. When you look at all the cost savings by getting rid of the driver, the whole truck can be redesigned. Put a driver in a truck for a thousand miles, he's got to stop many times to go to the bathroom, eat. An autonomous truck won't have to. They, an autonomous truck won't drive a thousand miles a day. It could drive 24 hours a day. So there's a huge, huge cost savings by taking the driver out of the equation and not a whole lot of downtime. I mean, how many drivers do you see that are fighting with people on the dock? It happens all the time. Dock people hate truck drivers. Most well, places I went to, it used to make me crazy because I'd walk up on a dock and they would hate me before I even got there because of everybody who was there before me. Or not everybody, but a lot of people. You know what I mean. But let's go one yes, more step. I know. Yes, I know. People, people are using the autopilot model saying, well, wait a minute. We've had autopilots in planes for a very long time, but we still have pilots. Well, there's two big reasons. One is that the fact that landing and taking off a plane is quite a bit more complicated than anything we have to do in a truck. But an autopilot can actually do that, and it can do it really well. Here's the biggest reason. If a truck does crash because something went wrong with the autonomous truck. The damage is probably going to be minimal. I mean, somebody might die. I don't want to minimize that. An autonomous truck could kill somebody. But what would happen if a plane failed? You would kill 500 people. 
there is no way, it, just fear alone, there's no way we're going to take the pilot out of a plane. There, there's too much at stake. 500 lives, one crash, 500 lives gone, or 150, whatever size the plane is. So part of it is just fear, pure fear. There's no way any of us are going to get on a plane with no pilot. Um, but if we do an autonomous truck, there isn't even a human in the truck. So the only danger is to somebody else on the road. Well, once you get to all autonomous vehicles on the road, then there's no danger to life. But in planes, because they're, you're, you're not going to see buses go to this, by the way. Because, again, you've got a bus full of people. Those are lives. We can't afford a mistake. You won't even see it in trains. Because if a train crashes, there's way too much at stake. You could have hazardous chemicals. You're going to have spills. You're going to have just the dollar amount of the damage if a train crashes. So people are trying to use the plane and the train as examples, and they're not good examples at all. So according to the people I watched, they said this idea that we're going to have humans as a backup just makes no sense. That will only be a transition, and it's only a transition because of fear and regulation. Mm -hmm. Well, as far as all of that goes, I think as drivers, we're going to have to, as this comes on, uh, brush up on our customer service aspects and do the best job we possibly can or let the job be taken over by a computer. That is an absolutely true statement. And my response to that would be, and it's too late, um, we should have been doing that all along. And I know people like you do. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. the people who have been working to provide good customer service haven't been the majority in a very long time. We should have been doing that all along. Yeah. So, well, we're looking at our replacements uh, if that if that autonomous technology keeps going. But uh, there's still going to be a, a niche market in places for quite there a is. while. There, there is. And, yep, there is. And that's the message that I want to get across to people. Um, there's a niche for truck drivers for a while. There's a niche for really good owner operators even longer. Owner operators are going to be a huge part of this transition. And there's going to be an even better, more profitable niche for owner operators with their own authority. They are going to be in high demand. Owner operators with their own authority who are innovative and successful and know how to run a business. They have the longest lifespan in this industry. There's one more thing that I think you could aspire to, and that is being a broker. When you get your own authority, it's a really good idea to learn how to be a broker and get your broker's authority. And that person has an even longer life in this industry. This to me is exciting. It's what I've been talking about for the last uh, several shows. You're going to hear me talking a lot more about this, but we are doing way more than talking. We are going to put all the tools and resources in place that you need to make this transition. So um, I'm looking at the clock. We're coming up uh, on the end of the show, so I'm going to have to wrap this up. 
and we will do it again. Um, in fact, I am looking at adding some more hours to the show. Uh, we're going to be doing some more podcasting. We're going to be doing some more audio. I want to get more time um, to interact with you. I wish I could get that time on Sirius, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, but we'll create some more opportunities. We never get to all the questions we have, um, and I love this interaction. So one of the ways that you can um, be a part of this with us, uh, our podcasts and our recordings happen every week, multiple days every week. If you want to make sure you don't miss any of those, there's a real simple way. Just text the word LISTEN to 99000. So just like you're going to send a text message to anybody, but instead of putting in a phone number, you're going to put in that short code 99000. In the body of the text, you're going to put the word listen, hit send. That text will register you in our system. Wait about 30 seconds. You'll get a text back. And then every time we are going to do a podcast, and we have multiple shows now, and we're adding some new ones, we will send you a text message about 15 minutes early with the phone number. When we do the recordings, you can just sit and listen to the whole show on your phone um, while you're driving down the road. If you want to ask a question, you just press one at any time during the show, and We'll screen the call. If you call in early and press one, I guarantee you'll get through. Um, we don't get to the questions that come in later in the show. We never get to them all. But we always get to those early birds that dial in and hit one quickly. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. If you need any help, give us 855-800-FUEL. 855 800 3835. Thanks for joining us. Be safe, be profitable, fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rockford. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, tomorrow we'll be doing the Power Hour, and uh, John from Pittsburgh Power sent me over a bunch of links on some new truck technology. So we will continue to keep you updated on where we're going with all of the new truck technology. I'm sure that'll be a big topic for us tomorrow. So join us then. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.